Let me open our class with a word of prayer, and then we will go to our prayer groups. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ week after week. Lord, it's such an encouragement to be able to set aside the cares of the world to be focused on you. And yet, Lord, even here, when we are setting aside time for you, the cares of the world don't go away and they can intrude in our minds and distract us from why we're gathered. So I pray today that you give us quiet minds, that you would allow us to focus on your word as it goes forth by the power of your spirit. And I pray that we wouldn't just hear the words, but we would be quick to do the word so that we wouldn't delude ourselves, but that we would be effective hearers and doers of your word. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, everyone. We'll go ahead and get started with our study. Again, it's always an honor and privilege to open God's Word with you. Just to remind all of us, keep each other in prayer. As we know of needs, the one thing I try to practice to do, if somebody tells me of a need, I pray immediately with my thought to pray for that person because it's easy to forget later on. I have a lot of sticky notes I keep track of things, and that works pretty good. I don't know, once I retire, I'll have to have a board or something for my sticky notes to keep track of time, but it's always good to be with you and to study God's Word together. Well, we're told throughout Scripture that we need to exhort one another, Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 13.22, And I appeal to you, brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in a few words. 1 Timothy 5.1, Do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. Titus 2.15, Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. The word exhort or exhortation is defined as language intended to incite and encourage, an address or communication emphatically urging someone to do something. I picture exhortation during a track meet from a coach like Jesse as he exhorts his track team, run faster, jump higher, leap further. We exhort our children and grandchildren as they take their first steps. Go, Lucas, go. You can do it. Get back up. Keep going. Or when they take off on that new bicycle on their own, keep pedaling. You're doing great. Keep going. Now, let me catch up. Hang on. You ever had that happen where they get going too well? Or when they try so hard to say that verse in cubbies or sparks. I don't know if you've ever observed kindergartners, but they don't hide their emotions when they try to say a verse. It's like, oh, man, I can't remember that first word. Give me that first word. Oh, okay. Uh, rejoice. Okay, I got it. Rejoice. Uh, now the next one. But they try so hard. And you exhort them as leaders. You can do it. I know you've been working on Oh, I'm trying. It's coming here. I'm squeezing my brain. But they try so hard. And of course, this uh, last week, the NCAA tournament start. I saw a lot of exhorting. Coach calls timeout. Players all come around, and boy, he's somehow exhorting with gestures and everything else. 
telling their players what to do or how to, how to make their free throws. I see a lot of free throws missed. I think of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. What an exhorter. He said, if you have to, have your sword in one hand and be building the wall with the other, exhorting them to keep going. And what happened? The mission was completed because God used Nehemiah in a great way. Well, in the book of Galatians, Paul shares a personal exhortation to those in the Galatian church after he has spent a lot of time teaching them the Word, teaching them doctrine, and also displaying a righteous anger toward the Judaizers who had gotten into those churches. Judaizers were those who balked at the idea of God's salvation being free to those who believe. They reasoned that to receive forgiveness from a holy God required a payment from us. And in the early church, those who taught a combination of God's grace and human effort were called Judaizers. A Judaizer taught that in order for a Christian to truly be right with God, he must conform to the Mosaic Law as well. Rituals like circumcision were promoted as necessary to be saved. Before we look at Paul's personal exhortation to the Galatians in Galatians 4, we need to know a little bit about the churches in Galatia. History tells us the Galatian churches included a mixed population of Greeks, Romans, and Jewish peoples. Paul visited them in Acts 6 during his second missionary journey, and on his third missionary journey as well in Acts 18 where it says in verse 23, after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over all the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order to strengthen all the disciples. This group of churches gladly received his teachings both times he stopped by. However, in in between the visits, this group of Judaizers had gotten into the church and they were teaching Well, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Here's what you need to do. You need to add to salvation being totally from God. You need to add in keeping the Old Testament law as well. And so Paul had really been focusing to these churches and hammering away at them that they needed to know God's Word, they needed doctrine, and that they needed to be careful to stay away from these false teachers who were around them in the churches. So he pauses, and I picture it like this, and it doesn't say here in Scripture, but just uh, bear with me for a moment. I picture it like this. These young believers had heard the Gospel and they accepted. They were Christians at this point. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and they were saved. However, when Paul left, these Judaizers snuck in and said, that's not enough. You need to add keeping the Old Testament law And so Paul was teaching them doctrine, teaching them the Word, and he was warning them about these Judaizers. And here at this point, I think he kind of stepped back, and I picture it again like this. He puts his arms around him and he says, you know, I love you. Don't keep going that way. I need to pull you aside and I need to exhort you. I need to encourage you. Follow the path God has for you. Don't follow the wrong path. Don't follow what the Judaizers are teaching because that's wrong. And sometimes I picture this, sometimes we as believers are reluctant to do that, but sometimes we need to do that with each other. You know, sometimes we're, 
we, we just need to pause and we need to say, you know, I need to take you aside because I love you and because I want to encourage you. If somebody's going to drive off a cliff, we just wave at them and say, good luck there. I know you're going wrong. Or do we warn them? We say, pull back. Don't keep going that way. Get your eyes refocused. One thing Doug and I do on that Thursday afternoon service we do with the inmates, what do we say time and time again, Doug? We keep our eyes on Jesus. Don't be looking all over around here. And when we do look this way, then we might get a wake-up call if that's what it takes to look back at the Lord because He is our all. Without Him, we're nothing. We can't do anything. But with Him, we please Him. We give glory to our Lord and Savior. So join me in Galatians 4, beginning of verse 12 through 20. Here we find four parts to this personal exhortation from the Apostle Paul to the believers in Galatia. Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. But you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus Himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. The first part that we look at here of Paul's exhortation to these believers is in the first part of verse 12. I beg of you, brethren. Paul appeals to them. He's begging them. He's saying, quit trying to get salvation by keeping the law. It doesn't work. Paul had been through all the rituals and the ceremonies being taught by a lot of the religious leaders at that time. And he knew that wasn't the way. In fact, he was the one witnessing those being martyred for their Christian faith. And he says it doesn't work. I beg of you, he's saying, brethren, his brothers and sisters, these are young Christians in the faith. And he's begging them. He's encouraging them here. He's saying, don't go the wrong way. You know the truth. Paul told them earlier in chapter 2.19, I died to the law that I might live to God. Every day we wake up on this earth as a gift. Today is March 19, 2017. There's only going to be one day like this. Tomorrow at this time, it's yesterday. So God says, wake up. Live for me today. I will get you through the day, through the next minute. I've had some inmates saying, you know, I, I can't get through the next hour. I said, yeah, God can help you through it. He's able, but give it to Him. 
Don't try to work out things on your own. Turn it over to God and then do as God leads you. And how does He lead us? He leads us through the Word. Be in the Word every day. Paul studied again under different great leaders, religious leaders of those times. And he had grounds to brag and keep in the law, but he knew it didn't save him. It convicted him, but it didn't save him. This phrase could read, Become as I am, free from the bondage of the law. I became as you are, Gentile. Paul gave up all those Jewish customs and rituals and lived like a Gentile so he could preach to the Gentiles. You know, we're Gentiles. Unless you're Jewish like Pastor Steve, but most of us are are Gentiles. When a Jewish person turned to Christ, it often meant being disowned by their Jewish family, kicked out of the synagogue, treated as if they were dead. So it was serious. Paul basically is sharing what he had given up with religion because now he had a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. It's not about keeping a set of rules. It's about a relationship with Jesus who bore our sins on the cross so that we could be saved. Paul basically is sharing, as in these churches, that Jesus had to be number one in their lives if they're going to walk with Him. Don't follow the false teaching because once they fell back into that, they're on the wrong road again. Easily misled. In a similar manner, I talk with inmates weekly who are saved by grace, but they turn back to drugs again. They say, chaplain, I tried. I said, okay, there's your problem right there. You tried. I tried. Say, with God's grace and help, God will help me to overcome it. It's looking at it in a different viewpoint. Looking at it with God's help. It says that God will never give us more than we can bear. The lure of the world around us when inmates leave the facility and they go back into the same environment, many of those that are on drugs, and I would say about 70% of the inmates we have, it's somehow related to drugs. They get back on the street with the same people. And over a period of time, I'm thinking of one young man, Doug, who knows who I'm talking about, Eric, He's been in like 20 times. I've asked you to pray for him in the past. He's back in the jail. But continue to pray for him because every time I go talk to him, he breaks down and he says, Chaplain John, he said, I was doing so good for so long, but he said, I I took my eyes off the Lord, off Jesus for a little bit, and now I'm back here. They've now labeled him a habitual criminal, which means... He will probably be serving some prison time up the road. But God's in charge. God knows all this. And one thing I I try to share with them, I remind myself, God already knows our tomorrow. He knows everything that will go on tomorrow or next week to the last day we're here on this earth. God knows exactly what's going to be going on in our lives. So why not put our trust in Him every day? I mean, He already knows what's all going to happen. And so... Paul is appealing to this group of believers. He's begging them. He's saying, I beg of you that I have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. This group had gone out of their way to minister to Paul. And Paul being an itinerant evangelist, 
preachers, starting churches. He needed that wherein he would go into a new area. He needed to find some support, and God led him to these people under circumstances we'll see in a moment that weren't his pick. He didn't know all this would happen, but God did. And Paul was content in knowing that. Jesus saved us from start to finish while the law only convicted us. Paul appeals to these young believers to trust in Jesus alone. There's the words, I think I've shared this before, but a Christian singer named Lauren Daigle who wrote this, Trust in You, and I think the words fit in very well here. Letting go of every single dream, I lay each one down at your feet. Every moment of my wondering never changes what you see. I've tried to win this war, I confess. My hands are weary. I need your rest. Mighty warrior, king of the fight, no matter what I face, you're by my side. And this part here really gets me. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. That's what we have to do. We don't know every answer. We don't know how God works, but we say, God, I trust you anyway. And that's hard. But that's what Paul was doing, and that's what he's encouraging these believers in Galatia. Trust in God alone. Keep your focus on Him. I have mentioned in the past, too, that there's been prayer groups started in many of the pods at the jail. And... Every week, Doug and I are very excited when we leave because 15, 20 minutes of the service, they're sharing answers to prayer. (laughs) Saying, Chaplain, Doug, they're saying, God is answering. And we're saying, Amen, that's God. They're saying, Wow, it's unbelievable. We have more things to pray for. And not only do they share requests, but it's almost been more answers to prayer than it's been the requests. And that's all God's working. I praise God every week for that because it's exciting. It's my highlight of the week to be able to share the Word and sharing God's Word. It's not my Word. It's His Word. Sharing it because we know it works because it's God's truth. God can't lie. God says you need to be in it. You need to be living it. The second part of this exhortation from Paul begins at verse 12 through 16 as Paul remembers their kindness. It says there, You have done me no wrong, in the last part of verse 12, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. That which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy by telling you the truth? This group, when Paul had visited, Paul had some sort of illness, some sort of physical problem, and he recuperated there in the area of Galatia. Some suggest Paul contracted malaria. And despite all the side effects of it, the believers didn't reject Paul. Malaria could leave a lot of physical appearance problems, but that didn't bother them. Paul was shocked that these believers received him as an angel of God, as 
Christ Jesus Himself. I think that's a reminder not to just look on the outside of people, look on their hearts as God looks at our hearts. Initially, when Paul passed through Antioch, it was not to share the gospel, but because of the serious illness that he had. It turned out to be an opportunity. And again, I'm reminded God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so God all had that plan that this would happen and He would be able to recuperate there in Galatia, even though that wasn't the intention at the beginning. Romans 8.28 says, For I know that how many things? All things. What does all mean? Everything. All things work together for good. God's good, which is our good when we put our trust in Him. Verse 14, we note that even though his illness was serious, many think he may have had malaria or something called ophthalmia, which affected the eyes and gave a hideous appearance. Something with the eyes may be swelled up, maybe looking very not well, so to speak. But when he came, they didn't reject him. And the reason we think it could have been something with his eyes in Chapter 6, verse 11, Paul says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. He had to write with big letters. So it could have been his eyes, could have been malaria, could have been both. Because he had been in areas where those things were present. Verse 15 speaks of a blessing. It says, Whereas then in that sense of blessing you had, for I bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. There was that deep love that he received from those believers in Galatia that if they could have helped his eyesight issue, they would have given them their eyes as well. That was a deep love and he knew that. And we too need to be showing, not that we give up our eyes for one another or call to do that, but when God prompts us to do something, and we have the opportunity, and we're able to do it, do it. What does it matter? Everything on this earth is going to burn someday. If somebody needs a washer and you're getting rid of yours, say, here, take this one. That's how we're to be doing in the body of Christ. Look for those opportunities. Are they around? Absolutely. But we have to be hearing them. We've got to be seeing uh, those opportunities as God prompts us to do something to do it. What can we do here at Lakeside? Financial help, if able. Material possessions, if able. Buying groceries, babysitting, sending cards of encouragement, if we're able. We do it. Because we're not guaranteed tomorrow on this earth, are we? We're guaranteed eternity with the Lord, and the Lord could take us tonight, and we could be with Him in eternity in heaven with Him. But we're not guaranteed tomorrow on this earth. Only God knows how many days we have. And I think as we look at the opportunities that come, that's why God says, redeem the time. Take today as a blessing. Take today as a gift. Because that's what it is. A gift to live for Him. One inmate wrote about this thanksgiving for a kindness that came his way. And this was written by Corey Ladd. This was an inmate in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm 27 years old and I've been incarcerated in prison since 2011. CNN named this facility one of the worst in the country, yet amid all the violence and corruption, I have peace 
that surpasses all understanding. I've accepted the Lord Jesus as my Savior and brought Him into my heart. He's transformed my mind, shifted my desires. I've come so far and never want to look back. I just want to continue to serve the Lord all the days of my life. I want everyone to know the things I know and to see the things I've seen. Only God can change the heart of a man. So I'm interceding for everyone I know that they would be saved. He's probably going to be in prison the rest of his life. One of the worst prisons in the country. And yet, God's using them. Just like He can use us wherever we are when we're willing to be servants. Willing to wash feet. Jesus washed the disciples' feet, you remember, and He said, go and do likewise. That means we go walk around saying, can I wash your feet? No. But whatever we do for the Lord, as low as it is washing dirty feet, we do it for Him. Because every day, again, is an opportunity to serve Him. Verse 16, Paul asks if after these few years of godly love and willing to give their eyes for Him, now they're turning from the truth of the Gospel. They're seemingly going down another road. The Judaizers were confusing them and they were following them instead of following the truth. But he's saying, I love you enough. I'm pulling you aside. I'm exhorting you. Get back to following the Lord. Don't let all this other stuff confuse you. Do we have things around us that can confuse us in this world around us? Wow, everywhere. That's getting worse and it's getting promoted. But God says, be light and salt where you're at because I need you where you're at. Every one of us will come in contact with people that nobody else will. And once they know that we profess to be a Christian, they're going to watch us. They're going to say, is what you have real because I'm going to watch you? And if we react just like they do or want vengeance on people or get angry at people all the time, they say, well, I'm already there. I don't need that. But if they see something different, if they see a glimpse of Jesus in our lives, they're going to say, what's the difference? We'll say it's Him. It's all about Him. And then we have an opportunity to witness. Today, legalism's crept into some churches so much that they say, saved by grace, that's not enough. TV evangelists say, send us your money and we'll tear off a little prayer cloth and send it back to you. That's blessed by us. So you send us a hundred bucks, you get a little bigger piece. Isn't that how it works? We don't serve. We, we pull God sometimes down to the human level when God is the God of the universe who created everything. He created us. We pull Him down too often. You've got to remember He's a holy God, but He's also God of love, God of grace and mercy. We don't deserve anything we get. Those are blessings. Even trials can be a blessing. Because you know in the trials, you know what we learn to do? Walk with the Lord. If everything went smooth all the time, we'd say, well, I'll pray to the Lord once a week. That's all I have time for. I'm too busy accumulating money and, and all these possessions over here. But when that trial comes, we learn to walk with the Lord through the tunnels of life. Because when we walk through those tunnels of life with the Lord, we can't see anything, we're trusting God, but we get to the end of that tunnel and God has worked through us to bring us through 
there's still a brother or sister back in the tunnel. You can say, God will see you through. Saw me through. He's going to see you through. That's how we encourage and exhort one another. Because, you know, there's always somebody in the tunnel. Amen? Sometimes it's us. Sometimes it's a brother. Sometimes it's a sister. But we can exhort them along the way. God hasn't forgotten. God doesn't forget us. Third part, verses 17 and 18, Paul shares a warning with these in Galatia. Verse 17 and 18. They eagerly seek you not commendably, but they wish to shut you out in order that you may seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner and not only when I am present with you. These Judaizers were trying to hunt these believers down and confuse them. Saying, you're not really saved. You're not keeping the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. You're not practicing all these rules that we've set up for you. And so they were seeking after Him. Just like many cults, they approach believers, luring them with the bait. Well, we agree with you. We, we believe in Jesus. We believe in this and that. Trying to lure believers into believing something false. There's no substitute for God's truth. The Bible is the one-of-a-kind, inerrant, inspired Word of God, and it shares the eternal answer, who is Jesus Christ. Period. But the lure of false teaching, believe me, is there in many, many forms at the jail. Inmates come to me and, oh, i, I got to get this book. Uh, they advertise it on TV. <laughs> and uh, have you gotten one of those, Chapman? Can you give me one of these and one of these? And You know it's false teaching. That's one of the challenges being a chaplain. In the military, it was more that you went by those who endorsed you. You went by your beliefs. That's what you taught. But you accommodated the others. At the jail, it's almost like you're supposed to represent all the false religions. I can't do that. Because I know there's only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father, but through me. That's it, period. I believe that's true. It's not expired. It's the truth of God. But here are these believers. They're being led falsely. And He even says here in verse 18, it's good to be sought in a commendable manner. But Paul, on the other hand, he's pleading with them to get back to the truth. You know the best way to, to know counterfeit or false teaching is to know the truth. If you don't know the truth, you're easily misled. But as we study God's Word, it becomes a part of who we are. And so when the false comes, it's like, how does that compare like the Bereans? How does that compare with the Word? doesn't add up as false. Satan is happy when people are misled into believing anything but the truth of the Word. I like the words to this old hymn, The Solid Rock. Anybody ever heard of that one? We're not going to sing it. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. 
all other ground is sinking sand. When darkness veils His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. I need to hang on to the solid rock, and that's Jesus Christ. Everything else will fail. The warning Paul giving is this, don't follow anything outside the Word of God. And we won't go wrong. Because God cannot produce anything false. He's truth, totally. His Word is inerrant, inspired by God. We can depend on it. There's no other book like it in the world. Paul was zealous. He was energized to share with those in Galatia the Gospel. While the Judaizers, they were energized to put them under bondage of the law and follow who? Follow them. Not Jesus. It says we are saved by grace through faith. It's all God from beginning to end salvation. Judaizer was saying, no, you've got to add something. What does it say in Ephesians? Not of works, lest any man should boast, brag. Say, look at me. i got three more works than you do. I'm a little higher. That isn't how it works. None of us deserved it. We're all dead in our sin. But by God's grace, He saved us. We can never repay Him. All we can do every day is saying, God, help me to serve you today. I don't know about tomorrow. My tomorrow you've taken care of. If it's with you, that's a better place. Paul struggled with that. He said, I struggle about being here on this earth, putting up with all these things going on. But I also struggle, I'd rather be with the Lord. I believe with all my heart that those who die, that have put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, are in the presence of, of God and they would never want to come back. Because I think it's going to be so unbelievable when we're in God's presence. And any crowns that they talk about that we would receive, any of us would receive for the works here, I think we're going to give them right back. I cannot do anything to repay what you did in saving me. When that becomes a part of our desire, of our heart every day, that that unbeliever, that unsaved person who gets on our nerves more than ever, we've got to start praying for them. Not pray, rain fire on them, Lord. <laughs> Rather, pray for their soul. Because that's what's going to count for eternity. The fourth part, verses 19 and 20, we have Paul's desire for the believers in Galatia. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Paul had a desire for them like, like a parent with a wayward child. Turn from the false teachings. Don't keep letting them mislead you. Turn back to the truth of God's Word. These were Christians, but now they were being misled. And instead of growing in their faith, they were fading away in their faith. They weren't growing. They weren't being sanctified. They weren't showing Christ-likeness they were going down the road and following the Judaizers. Paul makes this plea in other scriptures, Colossians 2.6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Our strength, our guidance, our direction is from Jesus. According to verse 20, Paul relays his frustration with those in Galatia. 
it says, I am perplexed about you. That's a word that you don't see a lot in Scripture. It's the only place it's used in Scripture. Perplexed. John MacArthur shares, Paul hardly knew what more to say or how to say it because he's so perplexed about them. This verb means to be at one's wit's end. He could not understand how they could have been taught the Gospel so well, believed it so genuinely, and then appeared to have forsaken it so quickly. I have an inmate at the jail who keeps returning time and time again. He told me, this young man, he's been in there three times in the last year. This last time he said, well, I got out and I ran with this wrong guy, hung out with him. And he went into a, a store, I guess, and robbed it. He said, I didn't know that, but then he took off running and I ran with him. Oh, that's not a good idea. But he said, well, at least, he says, I'm back here. I'm not going to be running with him anymore. Well, I guess association while robbing, that's not a good thing. Ended him up in the jail again. But now he's out again, and I'm praying he'll be able to stay out uh, this time walking with the Lord. But he said one thing to me before he left. He said, thank you for giving me the word. He says, I know what God wants me to do, and with His help, I'll do it this time. I haven't seen Him in a few weeks. I hope we don't see Him again, Doug. But we pray for them. We get a list, they sign in. Doug and I pray for them. And one thing I've learned to do, one thing I remind myself, every day we need to put ourselves in God's hands. Saying, God, I'm going to trust you today. I'm going to quit trying to do things my way. I want to do it your way. I want to follow you. I don't want to pull you along. I don't want to do anything that brings a bad name to you, but rather glorify your name. Paul exhorts these believers in Galatia from his heart, cherish the freedom you have in Christ. Turn away. Don't be following the set of rules of the Old Testament of the law that said you're a sinner. We know we're a sinner. We need Jesus Christ. And I can picture a tear or two streaming down Paul's eyes as he pleads with them. Don't go down that road. The Lord's given you freedom in Christ. Follow Him. Make it count for Him. And we exhort our brothers and sisters, we need to do it with the love of Christ. I picture it like this. We need to sometimes say, brother or sister, I love you in the Lord. I'm walking with you through here, but cling to the Word. Pray and bring your needs before God and don't forget to thank Him when He does answer because I know He will. And even though you're right now in a tunnel, I'm going to keep praying for you because I know He'll see you to the end of that tunnel because He's seen me through many times. How many wouldn't be encouraged by that? And I believe that's what Paul's saying with his heart here. My brothers and sisters, don't go down the road of bondage. Have that freedom you have in Christ. Trust Him for the day. Let's pray. Father God, thank You so much for the example that Paul has given for us. This exhortation to those in Galatia. Father, we also pray for our sister. Again, don't know her physical condition, but Father, just pray that all those tending to her, you will give them your wisdom. Father, walk with us today and this week. Every day you give us, Lord, is a gift. 
May we not turn away from You at any point. And if we do, Lord, help us to turn right back so that others can see that it's about a relationship, not about religion, this walk on this earth with You. We thank You. We praise You. In Jesus' name, Amen.